Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Praise be the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Welcome to another edition of Real Presence Live, coming to you on the Real Presence Radio Network, wherever you happen to be listening, or uh, remotely on our app here at Real Presence Radio, Father James Gross, a priest of the Diocese of Fargo, joining you today from our Grand Forks studios in the near Southside Historic District of beautiful downtown Grand Forks in the Grand Cities, uh, Grand Forks and East Grand Forks, uh, Minnesota, and joining me today as always, my uh, class mate and my brother priest of our diocese, Father Jason Leffer. Good morning. Good morning, Father Gross. It's great to be here. You know, I, I was loving you to that intro. It makes it sound like everybody in the whole world would want to be in historic downtown Grand Forks, North Dakota. It's a great place to be. <laughs> really, it is. It's a little chilly now, but at least uh, that um, uh, Colorado low, or I guess whatever they were calling it, uh, we, we hardly had any new snow, but um, there was plenty of wind, and that caused all sorts of travel issues Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. Things were a lot better today, I take it. We, we, we hardcore uh, plains, people from the upper plains are rejoicing in the glorious February that we've had so far. We will not. Yes, that's thing. right. We've had a great reprieve the last month or so, that's for sure. So if we could call upon you before we uh, dive into our segments and our conversations uh, to lead us in an opening prayer, Father. Absolutely. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. amen. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, we adore you, we glorify you. Heavenly Father, may we be your great glory. Send your Holy Spirit, Lord, and giver of life now upon us through the powerful intercession of the living word, Jesus Christ, into our hearts, our minds, our imaginations, our memories. Fill us and inspire us. May we come uh, to deeper uh, desire, a deeper revelation, and deeper intimacy with the Word who is Jesus Christ our Savior. We ask all this through Christ our Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Father. Well, as we I guess you might say liturgical insiders uh, call it. We are in year A of the three-year cycle of Sunday readings. And for the large majority of Sundays during this uh, current liturgical year, we are taking the gospel readings from uh, the gospel of St. Matthew. And it's very pertinent that we have our first guest with us who uh, wrote a book not long ago um, reflecting on some of the titles that are used in that gospel and how we can learn about uh, our Lord and his ministry a little bit better. So, Eric Sammons, welcome to Real Presence Live. Thanks so much for having me. I want to go to Grand Forks now, too. See? There we go. I told you. <laughs> I tell you what, people, they don't know what they're missing. <laughs> well, and, and actually, as we're sitting here in the studios, the sun is beaming through and is just absolutely gorgeous. It makes you very happy and cheery. So, Yes, yes. Even, even though it's probably going to be a white Easter here, we're hoping it's not a white Mother's Day that uh, spring comes in and, uh, and, and does its thing. Uh, before we talk about this uh, book that we want to visit with you about, um, uh, we... Uh, 
uh, I guess on on behalf of Father Leffer, um, will confess we don't know a whole lot of details about your story, but from what we can tell, it's a interesting one about your background and how you came into uh, full communion in the Catholic Church. Would you uh, want to take a minute or two and just kind of share a, a summary of that with us? Sure, I'd be happy to. Always love to talk about that. Actually, this Easter will be 30 years since I was received into the Catholic Church. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It's very exciting. Uh, I, I don't feel that old, but that's what I am. <laughs> and well, that's so, when uh, Father, Father Gross and I were kind of babies in the seminary 30 years ago, and so uh, we can relate to you, too. Right, right. On, on the same trajectory here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we were just learning which end is up, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was in college, and I, was, I grew up um, United Methodist, and I was really an evangelical Protestant in high school and college. Uh, which means I was less, more non-denominational, but very much uh, serious about my faith, serious about sharing my faith with others, very serious about the Bible, reading the Bible, learning about Christ in the Bible. And I accepted the, the Protestant uh, views of Sola Scriptura, Bible alone, as the faith alone, those, those type of things. But then I got very involved with the pro-life movement when I was in college. It was a, a big secular public school, and uh, I got involved, very involved in the pro-life movement. And I was, of, of the core group of the pro-life group there, I was the only non-Catholic. So it was a bunch of Catholics and me. And this was really my first time being around Catholics who were really on fire for their faith. Before this, I didn't have negative impressions of Catholicism. I just didn't really have any. I mean, I had some Catholic friends, and I thought they were odd because they, they go to Mass on Saturday evening. I mean, that was kind of weird to me as a Protestant. Right. Uh, but I didn't really know anything much. But then, of course, I learned very quickly uh, the different beliefs that, that uh, Catholics have from Protestants, for example, about the Blessed Mother, about the Real Presence, things like that. And so really, over the course of the next few years, I was in constant uh, interaction with these Catholics. I had a lot of debate, arguments with them. Uh, and I like to say I might have won a few battles, but fortunately they won the war. And so uh, I, I, I ended up converting, uh, becoming Catholic, and it's been just a wonderful thing. I, I mean, I'm just it's really, obviously, the best decision I ever made in my life, and I'm very grateful for the grace of God that that happened. You know, and so that, since then, you know, on that, yeah, on that point, Eric, I just want to kind of pause on that for a minute. Like, I, you know, I had a recent uh, parishioner come and talk to me, and she herself was a convert to the Catholic faith. She came from a kind of a different Protestant background, but you know, she and our conversation had to do with. You know, in general, Catholics aren't so good at evangelization, really. I mean, your average Joe Catholic in the pew. You know, we're not we're not so good at evangelizing necessarily. Or let's put this: we're not known for it. That's not our. But I, I would say, but what you're referring to, one of the areas where I think we've been hugely successful is that pro-life movement, where it because it, it's one of those kind of a, what we say a neutral thing that draws. Right. And why have we together. why have we not capitulated? But so many others have. You know, con- people of good conscience have to ask that question. Too. And, and and say like, like Eric, you yourself, and others have have found. Oh wait a minute, there really is something to this whole Catholic thing. Yeah. Yeah, and it was interesting because as United Methodist, United Methodist Church uh, was essentially pro-abortion. And I realized, okay, I cannot stay in that church. Now, I was just looking for another Protestant denomination, for example, the Southern Baptist or something like that. But it really, when I started seeing these Catholics who were acting like Christians, and they were just like, yeah, we're pro-life, and there's literally no way we cannot be. I mean, it's like the church just simply can't change that. We're unable to because, because we have to follow Christ. And that was really something that attracted me. And also, just speaking of evangelization, the one thing I really appreciated the most 
is that my friend, my Catholic friends and thought group, they made it explicit that they wanted me to become Catholic. And I think a lot of times we're afraid to do that. We're afraid we're going to offend somebody if we sure. do that. But I knew, and they did it in a way that they had built a relationship with me first, obviously. I was friends with them. And I knew they, they cared for my soul. They cared for me. And so they wanted me to become mm-hmm. Catholic. And I knew they wanted me to become Catholic. And yes, sometimes I probably got defensive. And, you know, that that's understandable. But to me, that really was a big deal because I was like, okay, these people really do believe what they say they believe. And they believe it so much, they think it'd be great for me to become Catholic, too. And so I feel like with Catholics, that's probably our biggest barrier to evangelization is that we feel like we might offend somebody if we let them know, yeah, we think it'd be great if you were Catholic. But I think we should tell people that. People we love, people we have relationships with that are not Catholic or maybe not practicing, say yes. Yeah, you know, and generally, you know, like just in general, not outside of religion or whatever, you're attracted to things that are positive, that are life giving, that are uplooking, that are that are they actually value themselves. You're you're naturally drawn to something that values itself. And so, you know, and speaking for ourselves and others who are listening, I, I think we do need to be, do a better job of that, of just actually valuing ourselves as Catholic that we really do have something to offer. We really do. Not not in a in an oppressive way or anything like that. But man, we've something I always say is, you know, as Catholics, we we're in the sandbox. We have all the toys. You know, and it's up to us to teach others how to play with the toys. You know that it just come on in, join the sandbox. Look at all these toys we have. You know, mm-hmm. and to, but to value ourselves that we really have something to offer. Yes, indeed. And uh, Eric Sammons, for those who are just joining us, is our guest uh, in our first um, in our first segment of our show today here. And uh, according to your website, you are the uh, editor in chief of Crisis Magazine. I, I think there may be uh, quite a few of our listeners who haven't heard or aren't familiar with that um, with that periodical. Can you just give us a little bit of a nut- shell of what uh, their uh, their vision is? Yeah, so Crisis Magazine was actually founded 40 years ago, in the early 80s, and it was originally a print magazine for the first 25 years, and since then it's been online, an online magazine, and essentially it was, the purpose of it was to address the crisis going on in the church and in the world, and I don't, unfortunately, my goal is hopefully that the, the crisis can shut down because we won't have a crisis in the church of the world anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But <laughs> until then, um, until that time, so what we try to do is really, we try to be very honest about what situation we're in, that yes, there's a lot of confusion in the church today in particular. Obviously, there's a lot of anti-Catholicism outside of the church in the world and our culture, and we want to equip Catholics so that they can really understand that crisis, but also, and this is, I always drill this into my writers, like, yes, talk about the crisis, talk about things that are going wrong, but always try to give, okay, now what do we do? How do Catholics respond? Obviously, things like prayer and fasting, maybe particular things like contacting uh, your your politician or your bishop, whatever, things of that nature, but try to have concrete things that we do so that we can overcome the crisis through our own lives. What would you say, like, you seem like you're probably in touch, like, because you're on the front line there through your editorial work and so forth. What would be, like, the top five kind of just issues right now that seem to be affecting Catholics or the Catholic Church that you'd say these are the headlines for um, right now that we're, we're dealing with, or you'd put in that, that crisis basket? I think, I think, first of all, the crisis in the world, the culture that affects Catholics is, of course, the whole confusion regarding like transgenderism homosexuality those issues where 
just understanding the human person, what the human person is, how God created us, uh, what, how God creates uh, human sexuality and what it's for, the purpose, uh, marriage, things of that, and divorce, remarriage, all those things are all issues that the, the, the culture really, I think, has a hard time understanding and really is, 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 is attacking the, the, the natural law. I'm not even the Catholic belief on human sexuality or, or, or humanity. It, it's the natural law. I think that is probably the big one inside the Church. I just honestly think that there's a crisis of, of self-identity, that we don't know who we are as Catholics. We're, we're, we're not really sure of what it means to be Catholic, that, that yes, this means that we believe that, for example, the, the Catholic Church is the one true Church that we want everybody to join, that, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that, and He is the, the, the one Savior of the world. There is no other. And this confusion really starts to seep in, uh, in this into every aspect of life. It might be the liturgy, it might be spirituality, whatever the case may be, but there's this, this lack of understanding what it really means to be Catholic. I know you answered five. Those are kind of the big two on each side. Sure. I think that's yeah, that's great. You know, and Eric, as I, I was thinking about how this morning um, celebrating Mass, the first reading Mass today was about um, God entrusting uh, the covenant uh, to Noah and his uh, family and the human race by extension and the sign of the rainbow. And as you drive, especially through, um, you know, uh, downtown areas of larger cities and you see various rainbow flags and stuff, you, you just think to yourself, if only these people had in mind uh, the, the, the love that God was extending, you know, through that sign uh, of uh, never again shall a destructive flood, you know, come upon the earth, you know, rather than all of these ulterior motives that they have, right? You, you know, Father <laughs> yeah, Gross, you just set the stage for us perfectly because the gospel today, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? <laughs> Uh, which sets us up for Eric, who yes. wrote a book about who do you say that I am, Yeah, which we're going to get into. Right. Yeah, just on the other side, we're going to have to step aside for a brief break here, uh, Eric. I promise we're going to get into this book here, um, Who Do You Say That I Am? And um, there is really a parallel of Mark chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 16. And the, um, uh, the, the variant from uh, Matthew is the one that contains the bestowal of the name Peter and you are the rock. On, on whom I will build my church and the various signs that come along with that. So we're going to dive into those topics in answering that question along with our guest, Eric Sammons. Who do you say I am? And we will take that up on the other side of this break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. It's no secret that parents and students alike love the University of Mary, the nation's most affordable, serious Catholic university. The Mary community provides students with a home away from home, one that is grounded in the rich vibrancy of the church. With nearly 60-degree programs, 18 NCAA Division II athletic teams, and a thriving university ministry program, there's something for everyone. Find your place at Mary. Visit cometomary.life. Did you know you can listen to all your favorite local shows like Awaken and Real Presence Live on any podcast platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Amazon Music? Just search for Real Presence Radio on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes in the future. 
And don't forget to give us a good rating so others can discover the shows. Listen to your favorite RPR shows anytime, anywhere by subscribing on any podcast platform. Just search for Real Presence Radio today. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. The birth of the church is described in the account of Pentecost from the book of Acts. And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the same Holy Spirit presence of God that was so thick it barred entrance to the tent of meeting in the desert and overwhelmed Solomon's priests at the inauguration of the first temple. This very same Spirit gave the prophets their message and empowered great miracles. This same Spirit of power breathes through the very fabric of our lives. What will you allow Him to do through you today? Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back, everyone, to Real Presence Live on a Thursday. Father James Gross and Father Jason Leffer joining you from our Grand Forks studios. And we have with us on the line Eric Sammons, the editor-in-chief of Crisis Magazine and the author of numerous books and articles, including the book, Who Do You Say That I Am?, which um, is uh, focusing on the Gospel of Matthew. So uh, go ahead and um, just uh, dive into some of the basic themes uh, that you were unfolding in that book, and, and what led you to take that up as, as a book topic? So, so each of the four Gospels are obviously a portrait of Jesus. Now, because Jesus is the Son of God, and he's the, he's the second person in Blessed Trinity, it's impossible in human language to completely uh, describe and, and, and explain who Jesus is. But what the Gospels do, they're our best way of really understanding him the best that we can. And so in the Gospel, I picked the Gospel of Matthew, frankly, I picked that because it's my favorite Gospel. I mean, you know, it's, it's very, it's, it's kind of the first Gospel, and so I, I like a lot of things about it. And one of the things I, I thought was interesting was that the perceptions of other people to Jesus, his contemporaries, how, for example, the Jewish leaders looked at him, how the Apostles looked at him, how just random people looked at him, and the way they perceived him, I thought was a very interesting way for us to see how do we perceive him. And that's, of course, the question he asked uh, the disciples in Matthew 16, where he says, who do you say I am? And because he knows people are talking about him. People don't understand him. And I think that's something we need to go into the Gospels with a certain amount of humility, that even if we've been studying Jesus, studying theology whatever, for decades, we don't fully know Jesus. We're tr- we strive every day to know him a little bit better, and so what my hope was with this book was it was to help people to, to go through slowly, frankly, each chapter, hopefully you, you read one chapter at a time, and slowly think, okay, people perceived him as this. For, I mean, just some examples in the book would be something like teacher, uh, Lord of the Sabbath, King of the Jews, things like that. We're all names given to him. And what did that mean to them? And so how, what does that tell us about him? It might be that they misperceived him. Their perception of him was wrong, but that also helps us say, are we looking at him like that as well? Do we look at him as just 
a teacher, for example, and not beyond that. So I think that that's basically the impetus for me deciding. I, I think this would be very helpful for people because ultimately, I mean, it, it really comes to inspiration from uh, Pope Benedict, Joseph Ratzinger, when he talked about how the Christianity is not a philosophy or even a way of life. It's ultimately a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's what's centered on, and that's what we should be focused on. You know, Eric, I think you just brought up something I think is so uh, is so important, and. Um, even as Lent's about to start here, that we might give an invitation to people to consider. And it's something like, um, that can cause a lot of, like a crisis in people's relationship with the Lord or their faith. Or, But I, I've come to, you know, just realize that, um, you know, what do you do when when Jesus fails your expectations? You know, I mean, that's, that's what you were saying there. Like, sometimes people, they give him a name and they call him something, and we find out that isn't really who he is. Or we, we have the wrong perception of who he is or they had the wrong perception of who he is but i you know i've in in my maturing process across the years as a, as a man as a christian as a priest um my my most personal growth always happens around those points where i come to discover you know what jesus failed my expectations here i th- i thought he was this but he's taking me in a whole new direction did did you discover something like that as you're writing this book and you're you're researching these different titles and how to know him yeah, that's a, I love that question, and it's a hard one to answer, but you're absolutely right, because it is true that we set up a, uh, our, a Jesus, and often a Jesus in our own image. I mean, I, I sometimes will mock the, the Scripture scholars, like the feminist Scripture scholar who may, wants to make Jesus a first-century feminist, or the, uh, what, I mean, the Marxist Scripture scholar wants to make him a Marxist. I mean, basically right. what they're doing is, a, a professor told me once, like, they're looking into the well, and they're seeing their own reflection and calling it Jesus. And, but yet, I, I mock that because it's so obviously bad, but yet I do it. <laughs> I, I want to make Jesus in my image. And so that's exactly right. In, in doing this and looking at these different uh, perceptions and how people look at him and the true perceptions, like I, I kind of go in the book, uh, I, I start with the incomplete perceptions, and I get a little bit closer and closer, and the final section's called son, because ultimately I think that's probably the best word, S-O-N, son, it's probably the best word to describe Jesus, because he is the son of Abraham, he's the son of David, he's the son of man, he calls himself, he's the son of God, of course, he's my beloved son, the Father calls him. And I think that relationship he has with the Father, the intimacy he has with him, that's what we're striving for, is an intimacy with the Father that only comes to us through the Son. And I think, like, one example of just how I, I kind of had, he had disappointed me, and I put that in kind of square scare quotes, is, for example, for a long time in my prayer life, I wanted some feeling. I wanted some positive feelings from them. And I just wouldn't get them normally, almost ever. And I just realized I was looking at Jesus as this cosmic vending machine. I put in the, the, the prayer quarter, and I expect some candy to get out. And that's just not who he is. He's not there at my beck and call to say, okay, I'm going to just give you good feelings because that's what you want in your prayer life. And so there's an example where I had to realize, hey, that's not what he's for. I mean, I'm here to be there for him. Yeah, you know, you trigger something else I mean, as you're describing that. And right now we're in the Eucharistic revival, right? We're in these three years of Eucharistic revival, and there's re- really trying to focus on the presence of Christ, His real presence, He's present for, you know, what does that mean and all this? And, you know, and I, again, in working through this, like, I've been, I've been discovering that oftentimes the greatest gift of Jesus to us in His presence is my greatest disappointment. You know, like, 
you, you come before the Lord, you kneel down, and you're like, Lord, you know, help me with my cancer, or help me, um, my business is failing, or my marriage is in trouble, or my, you know, <clears throat> you come before him, and, you, and like you say, you expect him to respond, and to, he's going to fix my marriage, he's going to make my business run better, he's going to heal my cancer. And, uh, you know, and, but his response is always the same. Like, no matter what you come, you come there and he sa- you say, help my marriage, and he says, I am here. I'm here with you, and, you, and you're like... Yeah, I, I know you're here with me, but what, you know, how, why can't you fix my marriage? He's like, and his response is, "I am here with you. I'm here with you." you know, anyway, I, I've just kind of discovered like his, his greatest gift to us, which is his presence. Oftentimes, is the thing that I'm most disappointed in. You know, like, come on, Jesus, get off that cross and and do something. And his response is always, "I'm here. I'm with you. I'm I'm in your cancer. I'm in your broken marriage. I'm in your failing business." I'm, you know, yeah. This generation seeks a sign, and and it's just kind of the way we are as human beings, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I, really, it is a matter of we all have a tendency to want to use Jesus, and you see that in the Gospels, the, the people there do. But we all we all want to use him, and ultimately, like you said, it's more about a matter of being in his presence, and he will guide us. But we have to listen to, to basically what he's saying. I think that's the real struggle all of us have. The better we know him, though, the better we're going to be able to appreciate that presence and follow him where he wants to lead us. And actually have a relationship with that person, which is what you, t- quoting, you know, Pope Benedict, you said. How about, like, as you're, as you're researching these different titles and different names, what, may, maybe one or two of them that, like, you discovered something that you really didn't know, or you're just like, or it really clicked for you, or it really kind of brought you to a new, new discovery about Jesus based on your research? I, I honestly, I think my favorite, my favorite chapter, writing uh, about the title is Physician, because it actually, I like, you know, St. Matthew's Gospel, I like St. Matthew. And it's you, the, the term physician is actually used by Jesus because what happens is, is that he, he calls Matthew, the famous Matthew the tax collector, he calls him, and immediately Matthew gets up and, go, and goes with him. But then Jesus goes and he, and he goes to his home, and he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. And the Pharisees, of course, are very upset about this, and... Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. And I think just that, and, and what I found was that early church fathers, they love that image of physician, that Jesus is the divine physician, because ultimately we're all sick. We are all sick. Sin is a sickness in one sense. It, it really, and we're all infected by it. And he is the physician, and he's the only one who can cure us. And I, there's something about that imagery that when I'm feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm not following Jesus like I should, I'm, I'm, I'm miserable, I'm, I'm doing things, Jesus like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but that's why I'm your physician. I mean, a doctor doesn't, when you go to him and you say to him, like, I have this disease, he does say, no, you don't have that disease. He, oh, you do not make you feel better. He says, no, let's, let's fix that disease, let's heal it. And that's what Jesus does, too. And... The, the healing might be actually painful at times. I mean, it might be surgery or something like that, but, but ultimately he's there to heal us. I, I just found that a beautiful imagery of who he really is. 
Excellent. Well, we just have a couple of minutes with you, uh, Eric, here. And again, that book is Who Do You Say I Am, um, uh, published by Sophia Institute and available wherever fine books are sold. There's another book. uh, I'm just looking at your um, uh, website. Maybe you could just say a quick word about it. Your most recent book, Deadly Indifference, about the impact religious indifference has had on the church over the past five decades. Could you give us just a little sneak preview of what your uh, driving at with uh, with the theme of that book. Yeah, really, that one is, is probably a more controversial book, to be honest, but it's, it's basically saying that religious indifference has creeped into the Catholic Church over the past maybe 50, 60 years, and too many Catholics think it doesn't matter if you're Catholic, and yet the Church has always taught that outside the Church there's no salvation. Now, yes, we understand that in a certain way and, and whatnot, but the point is, is that it matters to be Catholic. And that's really what I'm trying to say in that book, is that it really matters to be Catholic. It matters if your loved ones are Catholic. You should really want to evangelize them, bring in the Catholic Church. We have, not through any merit of our own, but we have the pearl of great price. And so we should be sharing it with others. And that's really what that book is trying to say, is like, really try to work to help your, your friends become Catholic. Make yourself, obviously, the best Catholic you can be, because it does matter that, that the Catholic Church matters. <laughs> And we are grateful that we've been able to um, uh, orient uh, many of our listeners, perhaps, who had not heard of you or your work before, uh, to the great things that you're doing uh, for the Church in the United States. His name is Eric Sammons. E-R-I-C-S-A-M-M-O-N-S dot com is a website that will give you more information about him. Uh, Eric Sammons, thank you very much for taking the time to visit with us today. I really appreciate being on the program, Fathers. This was great. Great, and blessings to you and your family and your ministry. Wonderful. Well, we're going to step aside for just a moment here, but when we come back, uh, think about photography, the role that that has in your life, whether you consider yourself uh, skilled or maybe uh, just struggling not to get your thumb in the uh, image as you're taking pictures, and what does it mean to uh, approach that skill, that art, from a Catholic perspective? We have a photographer and author who will be joining us after the break with his view on this and especially how it affected his spiritual life. So please stay with us, Father Jason Leffer, Father James Gross, hosting Real Presence Live, and we'll be right back after this. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 